So one time, you know, when he did come home and I did, you know, slave down the kitchen for him or whatever, but he didn't like my meals. So he wanted to chuck the plate at my, my head. So I got a shoe and chucked it back at his head. But unfortunately I missed and I smashed his pot billy and he got pissed off, you know, and I just said, why don't you just go fuck your pot billy, you know, because I was so angry at him for trying to throw the food that I cooked him back in, in my face. I smashed it and the water went everywhere and the worst abuse that he's probably ever done to me is grabbing my neck and trying to make me lick that bong water off the floor and that's when the moment when I realized like what am I doing why am I living in this kind of life this is disgusting like I've got no respect for myself he doesn't love me I don't love him what is up beautiful people I am Lachlan Samuel and this is the open up podcast the show that is making mental health mainstream the way we do that is we interview people about the deepest, darkest, most traumatic and challenging moments and periods of their life. We go over what they went through, how they overcome it, any tips, tools and tactics that they use to do so, any lessons that they've taken away from that period in their life, and then where they're at now, how they've turned that pain into purpose. All I can say is that I'm just truly, truly grateful. And I absolutely believe that together, me and you, and the sharing of these stories, we will make mental health mainstream. Let's go! Welcome back to the Open Up Podcast, everyone. It's episode 87 with Neek Lily Rose, Happiness Co-Ambassador and Epic Human. Thank you for taking time to do this. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, first question, straight off the bat, could you please describe the way that you view yourself as a woman and or human? Oh, well, straight, straight off the bat, hard <laughs> question. <laughs> um, pretty much I'd like to describe myself as um, a bit of an outcast. I would call myself a mermaid and a lot of people know me as a mermaid. Is I'm just a very free spirit and just kind of, am a bit out there. I kind of am off in my own world a lot, but that's what people love about me. And I'm just that type of person that just likes to make everyone smile and laugh and just give them a shoulder to cry on. And that's basically who I am and what I want to be. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> and why mermaid? <laughs> mermaid, just because I love the ocean. I'm a surfer and yeah, I just, just love to be a bit adventurous and go a bit on the wild side. Yes. <laughs> on the down low. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. All right. Seeing as your story starts from childhood, we might as well dive straight in and you can uh, walk us through it from there. Yeah, sure. So just let me know if I'm dribbling shit. So I'll try and um, <laughs> not go off the radar too much. But yeah. So um, pretty much as when probably before I was even born, um, I got told from my mum that I'm actually a miracle baby. Um, I was not meant to be on this earth. So I do apologise if I say um too much as well. Um, she struggled to actually have me. She um, was in the bed for about six months without working or anything because she was so afraid to lose me. And here I am. I was born earlier, but I made it to earth. So um, ever since she told me that, I was kind of think, you know, I was never really meant to be on this earth because I was meant to be dead. So, <laughs> so I've always kind of felt like an outcast ever since I was born uh, with my family, with my friends, with um, childhood in general. Um, like I had 
I had family, I had friends, but I just never felt found my sense of belonging. And I had major problems with my teeth and my jawline. I uh, suffered with an underbite. So most people would have their upper jaw, which would be bigger than their lower jaw. I had the opposite. I had a lower jaw that just kept growing and growing. So as a child, I had to wear this weird thing around my head and it was just I was self-conscious about it already as a child and my learning abilities was very behind. I repeated grade one. So um, I really felt behind from all the other students and also suffered a broken arm. So a lot of traumatic things kind of happened when I was a child. Not only that, my parents separated and I kind of blamed myself for my parents' separation. And it was quite hard um, getting having that divided time with my mum and dad and my dad suffered diabetes and was always sick every time I was with him that I had to save his life a few times. Um, Yeah, making phone calls and stuff uh, because he's diabetic. He still suffers diabetic and I still worry a lot about his health but I still have that image in my mind of when he was passed out and I just did not know what to do and as a child I was trying to look for sugar in the room and ringing my aunties and stuff like that. So all these traumatic effects kind of affected me from a very young age and I still have it so clear in my mind from today. So, um, yeah, it's growing up and even into my teens was a very difficult time for me Um, going to school. I used to get bullied quite a lot because of my jaw and because of my face which is one of my biggest insecurities um, and something that I don't really like to share with people because it's, you know, it's got to do with my appearance, but I was always really self-conscious of my face and just pretty much wanted to go to school with a paper bag over my head. So my jaw just kept growing and I had braces, you know, I had the weirdest looking teeth. So I went to dentist, orthodontist, um, but I had to wait to get the jaw surgery because I was still young and my jaw was still growing. So kind of felt like I looked like a witch in a way. <laughs> but um, so I just needed my broomstick to fly away. But um, yeah, it was just, it was very traumatic um, going through high school. I was either really popular and but the popular girls were just mainly bullying me behind my back anyway. So I kind of left that group and kept, felt like a bit of a loner. It was, my school was a private school, so it was either like you had the Asian groups, the Italian groups, or, you know, the all the hot blonde chicks all together. It was stereotyped just like that. So I had no idea where I belonged and I just was a target of bullying and, you know, guys would try and ask me out as a date and I'd get excited and it was all pretend and they'll laugh behind my back and be like, no, you got a munted face or you're too ugly. And I'd constantly be hearing those types of words um, every day. And it's quite hurtful for a young teenager to be growing up, um, having everyone telling her that her face is ugly and munted. Um, You just want to hide behind a closet. So I missed a lot of days of school. I pretty much hid behind my artwork because that was pretty much the only thing I was good at. And funny enough, I was good at drama, (laughs) but I didn't want to be on um, TV. Um, So, yeah, it was was very, very difficult and very traumatic, but somehow I got through those high school years. But within developing that as well, I just had an obsession with wanting to be beautiful. 
because I felt so invisible my whole life that I just got so envious of those beautiful, tall, legged, blonde girls and got so envious of the popular girls that were getting all the guys. And, you know, I so badly wanted to look like that and wanted to get seen for for me and just to get looked at and noticed. So I started binge eating really bad and just started to throw it up and became bulimic. And I was hiding this from my family for quite a while. Um, it was quite easy, actually. You know, I had, you know, I'd do it in the shower where I'd, hide, you know, have the water running really loud and then be throwing up or I'd play music really loud and be throwing up and it kind of made me feel good at the time because let's just face it I love food and I still do like <laughs> I love I love to eat you know I'll wake up and think about food so you know I'd be finishing school and probably have like seven slices of bread that my grandma and my grandma would buy for me and you know eat that in the secret you know in a quiet room and then just chuck it all back up And um, I was starting to lose weight from it, but I was also starting to get really sick mentally and my health was starting to get really sick as well because I wasn't getting nutrition. So um, I it's still very hard for me to talk about, so if I get a bit emotional, I stumble. (laughs) But um, I did start to self-harm and try and take my own life when I was a teenager as well. So things just got too much with being in high school, especially a public, a private school and not fitting in and just having these people telling me that I'm ugly every day, guys asking me out on a date and then laughing behind my back. And not only, only that, I would have guys, you know, snapping my bra at the back because I was quite big busted when I was in high school as well. So just um, it's like no one had respect for me when I was there. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was very tough that um, my parents, I think my mum, I can't remember exactly, but my mum figured out that, yeah, I was trying to kill myself and I swallowed all these pills and also saw the blood coming out of my wrist and that's when they uh, seek to get me help. So I ended up going into um, this hospital, which was Perth, uh, Perth Clinic, but to me it seemed like a hotel. Like I walked in there and there was nice rooms, Um nice cafeteria and I was in my element like I was with people that understood me that were going through the same type of thing and it was all age all ages so I just got so used to being there and um but the thing is like every time I ate I would have to sit and they would watch me you know because obviously they didn't want me to throw up the food so I'd have They'd be watching me like, <laughs> but I still found ways to do it even inside of hospital and I still found ways to self-harm even inside of hospital but um, they kind of got onto it and yeah, but yeah, I just found my way inside of there and when they told me that I was going to get released, I actually got upset about it because I actually met a guy when I was in there as well and had my first kiss and well, um, I, <laughs> I know I ordered pizza. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I just, it felt really good to be there because I felt like I was finding myself in there that I didn't want to go into the big, big bad world again and you know, go back into my original life. So I was trying to beg them to keep me in or trying to make myself look worse so they will keep me in. And they're like, nah, they saw past all that bullshit. <laughs> they're like, no, you, you got to go. You got to go and face the world. So I did and um, I still waited to get that jaw operation. But finally when I was 18, they said to me that I was able to get the jaw operation. So I got the jaw operation and that was 
uh, a long process. So pretty much three months I couldn't eat or anything like that, which I actually loved because I couldn't eat. So I lost a lot of weight. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking pretty fine. But <laughs> um, yeah, once I got that done, the swelling went back down and everything like that. I went back to school and um, the first day I went back, no one said anything about my new face or no one really noticed and I went home crying. I said, no one noticed that I got the jaw operation. No one's telling me I'm beautiful or anything like that. And, my, you know, my mum's like, surely they will notice but they just don't want to say anything to hurt your feelings. And then the next day, a girl, people started coming up to me and saying, did you have something done? You know, like I didn't want to offend your feelings but, yeah, look, you look different or whatever. I still got really bad comments, even though I did get the jaw operation. I still had guys telling me that even though I looked different, I still was ugly. So um, I still, yeah, still had the same feeling, still felt depressed and everything. But somehow I managed to get through that and leave high school and get into a drama school, trying to get my confidence up and stuff like that. And lost a bit of weight and started to feel a little bit more attractive, but inside my heart wasn't really healed obviously so I decided to move uh, to Sydney when I was pretty young so about 19 and I think that was more just a way of running away yeah but I got a few jobs just doing um, being an extra in movies and stuff like that and working in an ice cream shop and I only moved there with a thousand bucks but it was adventure for me it was like taking a risk and I just needed to get away from Perth because there was just so much memories of pain here so once I got there um you know it was great you know like I was you know going on dates constantly um I met a guy and you know he was really well known and hot and everything so dated him for a few months, but he said, oh, you should lose some weight because you'd look like a model if you did. So, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> my insecurities got a bit worse again. So, um, yeah, just kept dating and partying like you do when you're like 19 and 18. And then I met this guy on Christmas Day um, and he's actually my daughter's dad. I'm no longer with him, of course, but he, yeah, I met him on Christmas Day and I was thinking, oh, yeah, he's all right, you know, like blonde hair, blue eyes, yeah, you know, kind of my type. So the first thing I asked him was I was like, oh, are you single? And he's like, yeah. I said, you're not gay, are you? And he's like, no. And I said, does your equipment work? And I'm, he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, good, you're good in my eyes. Like, <laughs> so, we, <laughs> so we pretty much um, hit it off since then and, you know, Everything was great the first few months. It was like, you know, I was getting texts, good morning, beautiful, or how are you, beautiful, and it was all romantic and everything like that. But I did have the red flags at the beginning because I could notice the pattern of drinking. I noticed he had a beer every morning he woke up. I noticed wow. he was always buying cases of beer. And I knew that was a red flag in my head, but I was like, I feel so good. This guy gives me compliments. I'm finally getting noticed by a guy. I'm finally going to get a boyfriend, you know, that I've wanted all this time. So I just ditched those red flags and kept going for it. Then the next thing he kind of asked me to move in and I moved in with him. And that's kind of when the verbal abuse started and the racial abuse started. So it was always about me cooking him dinner and um, because I have got dark skin, he thought that I should be a slave, you know, so I don't want to yeah. say what the term is, but yeah, he'll call me, you know, black slave, black this, you know, like that. And I'm not even that dark, but I used to get really self 
self-conscious of my skin because he used to call me that, that I used to um, look for skin whiteners or look for ways to cover my skin in the sun, which is funny because a lot of girls say to me today, which I'm not trying to sound egotistic or anything, they'll come up to me and say, where do you get your tan from? Which tanning salon do you go to? Like, I'm so jealous of your tan. I'm like, (laughs) what are you talking about? This is my natural skin color, you know, like especially at the gym. These girls pay so much money to get, like, my skin yep. colour. So, like, now I learn to love it and embrace it. Um, but before then, like, I hated it. You know, I wanted to do everything to try and have whiter skin. So, and do everything to – I'd try and dye my hair blonde because he was always saying to me that he wished, you know, like, um, I'm lucky to have him, you know. He can have any hotter chick than me. and Really? You know, he can – yeah, he can pick up anyone better and – you know, it, it's weird because even his friends and my friends would be like, you know, or even just random people that I would meet, they'd be like, what are you doing with him? They're like, you can do so much better. And I just would not pay attention to that. I'm like, nah, you're crazy. No, he can do so much better. Like, look at me, look at him. But people were thinking the reverse situation. But now I look back, I realize that it's more his insecurities, not mine. Now that yep. I look back at all of this. But yeah, the abuse just got worse. And he... um was a drug addict as well and a gambler and I decided to, because he was taking drugs, so I decided to try it as well. So I kind of got dragged into it as well and I'm not blaming him because I made my own decisions. I wanted to try it but I got hooked onto it pretty easily. So every Friday it was pretty much just coke and it was, um, yeah, just smoking constantly and then it would just be a verbal fight after that and more abuse after that and more abuse and abuse after that. Probably the worst um, moment that I remember that I will share with you guys with him is when um, – because I was really – I'm really quite quiet and soft and it takes a lot to push my buttons. You know, I'm a Capricorn. I like to sweep problems under the mud, you know, under the rug. But if someone pushes me and pushes me and pushes me, eventually I just explode and it's like, well, watch yourself, you know. So that's what kind of happened with him is he just kept pushing me, telling me I'm ugly, telling me that I'm this, telling me that I'm a dog, telling me that no one will want me, um, telling me that I can't cook, telling me that I'm dumb. And eventually he kept pushing and pushing and pushing and he would strangle, strangle me and get physically abusive as well. But eventually I started to fight back. So one time, you know, when he did come home and I did, you know, slave down the kitchen for him or whatever, but he didn't like my meals. So he wanted to chuck the plate at my my head. So I got a shoe and chucked it back at his head. But unfortunately, I missed and I smashed his pot billy and he got pissed off, you know, and I just said, why don't you just go fuck your pot billy, you know, because I was so angry at him for trying to throw the food that I could. And what's that for anyone who doesn't know? That's our weed <laughs> or marijuana. I don't know what you call it. There's the bong? The bong, yeah. yeah. Um, so I smashed it and the water went everywhere. And the worst abuse that he's probably ever done to me is grabbing my neck and trying to make me lick that bong water off the floor. And that's when the moment when I realized, like, what am I doing? Why am I living in this kind of life? This is disgusting. Like, I've got no respect for myself. He doesn't love me. I don't love him. I don't think I ever did love him, to be honest. Um, now that I look back at it, I think it was like an addiction. It was like an addiction to the lifestyle. It was addiction to the pain. It's an addiction of making a bad boy 
wanting to love a good girl and that's what I kept chasing is that bad boy image to want to love someone like me and because he wasn't loving me the way I was the more I was trying to fight to get him to love me and not only that I was always I guess attracted to broken people wanting to help someone that's broken and I always believe I always try and see the goodness in people and that's what it was like for me. I always saw the good in him and I just wanted to push that out of him and thinking that he will change and thinking that he will love me and I'll be that attractive girl that he wants. But, you know, yesterday, you know, tomorrow comes and then the next day comes and then the next day comes, nothing changes. And then seven years later, you're still with him, you know, and that was me. Seven years later, I was still, I wasted seven years with him. I fell pregnant and um, I got into a really good art school in Sydney and I was doing that at night because I was working full time plus going to to TAFE and uni at night to try and study for this art school and um, I was exhausted and even one time you know he wanted McDonald's so I actually went to McDonald's after school after a long day of working and school getting McDonald's brought back the nuggets I got the wrong sauce so I just get chicken nuggets chucked at my head and I get my neck choked because I got the wrong sauce for him luckily uh, that night I had his brother there and his brother was really protected me that night but you know that was just horrible like I'm a pregnant woman you know that's trying to study that's trying to work I went out of my way to get you your McDonald's and you you lose your shit at me because I got the wrong sauce so that was another moment that I was just like, what am I doing? And I've got a child in my stomach now. It's not just about me anymore. But I just did not know any better. I just did not think that I could survive, like, being single. I didn't think there was anyone better out there for me. You know, yeah. I thought this is it. This is my life. And I put my family through hell. Like, there's so many times I cried and rang them and I was really scared out of my mind. My friends actually rang my family to try and help me get out of the situation and I just kept going back. Probably about seven or eight times I went back. So even after I had my daughter, it took me some time to leave, but he was starting to do things that I was worried about for my daughter's life as well because not because of him but because of the addictions that he has. He didn't realise what he was doing. It was like he had multiple uh, personalities. Yeah. And I'm not trying to make him look bad or put him down or, you know, saying all this bad stuff about him online because, to be honest, I have made peace with him and I do wish him the best and I have no anger or emotions towards him. So, but, yeah, it's like he had multiple personalities, especially with the drinking, especially when he drank wild turkey. It's like he actually acted like a wild turkey. So I used to freak freak out every time I used to see that bottle come home. I'm like, oh, God, here comes the turkey again. Um, so, yeah, so once I, I had my daughter and stuff, it, it yeah, it got, it got better, but then it just got worse again. Like he tried to get himself help and all this kind of stuff, but it just did not work. The violence got worse and I realised I don't want my daughter to be a part of this. And you got to realise my biggest fear in life was being a single mum. That was, that was my biggest fear in life. I did not want to be a single mum. But I came to that stage where it's like I'd rather be a single mum than to have her growing up with a dad like that, you know. And um, it broke my heart to have to think that and have to leave him. And But I just realised I just could not fix him anymore. I could not help him anymore. He had to want to help himself, but he wasn't helping himself. 
So I made a plan and I had to really think this one out. But I made an exit plan to come back to Perth, which the universe helped me in some kind of way as well because the lease was up and he wanted to get a job in Perth anyway. So it's like, why don't you just go to Perth? So I was like, yes, finally, you know, <laughs> the universe is working in my favour. So I, mu- I moved to Perth and once I was in Perth, I was fine. But he ended up following, following me and um, I tried to give him another chance again because I thought, well, I've got my family support now. Let's try and make it work. He tried to get a job in the mine site and stuff. But no, something else happened um, when I went out with my cousins. He got all abusive again and kind of put my daughter in danger. And by then I had my mum and my dad and my cousins and everything there to support me. So I was able to have to do the hardest thing in my life, which was getting a restraining order behind his back and to try and protect myself and my daughter. And eventually he got kicked out of my home and ended up moving, moving away out of the state. And I haven't seen him in about four or five years or heard from him. Well, And... Yeah, so but I I thank my family so much. I thank my sister, I thank my mum and dad, I thank my cousins and everyone that was there to, to get me through that hard time because if I didn't have them there, I don't know what I would have done. It It's a really hard thing to get out of, a really hard situation to get out of, especially going to court. Um, it's one of the hardest things I ever had to do because – even though I'm protecting my daughter, I still felt for him and I still felt sorry for him and I still wanted him to have a good life. Like as much as he hurt me, as much as he abused me, as much as he put me down, I wanted him to be okay. But I knew I had to do the right thing by me and by her and I'm so glad that I did. And now I look back and I'm like, what the hell was I doing with this guy for so long? Like, <laughs> honestly, like, seriously, what the fuck was wrong with me? Why didn't I listen to those people? You know? Seven years that's, worth of lessons, buddy. Oh, <laughs> uh, I know. It's like now I look, that's probably the only regret is being with him for seven years. But I have to bless my daughter and love my daughter so much because she's my angel and she's the one that saved me. She's the one that got me out of that bad situation. If I didn't fall pregnant, to be honest, I don't know if I would have ever got out. I probably would have ended up dead or I probably would have ended up killing him, to be honest, because I started to get violent. I started to get turning into a monster as well because he was a monster, so I was turning into one. So I am so blessed I was able to get out of that and that I've got my beautiful daughter every day that I look at her to thank for that. And as much as I did not want to be a single mum, she's my angel and she saved my life. So. That's amazing. I've got a <laughs> yeah. whole bunch of questions from that yeah, whole story. Go <laughs> yeah, go for it. Um, you spoke about your parents splitting up when you were young. Did that impact you at all? And what was the story you told yourself about that breakup? Yeah, that did impact me quite a lot. Um it was a fight over me. It's something that I can't really share just yet, but yeah. it was something that happened with a family conflict and a babysitter and um, that I didn't want to stay at and my family just didn't believe me. My mum did, but my dad was a bit, yeah, you know, so they, my mum and dad just fought out over it and I used to hear them arguing over it and I could see the glass breaking on the floor and things like that. So I do blame myself quite a lot 
for that relationship failing. But my mum and dad are like best friends now and I love my dad so much. Like I'm so blessed to have him and my mum is amazing. My mum is the best mum you could ever really ask for. And, you know, like now that I'm older, I see a lot of reasons why that relationship didn't work. So, but yeah, I did blame myself quite a lot for that. And Uh, do you think like looking back now, obviously it would have been hard to understand anything like this while you're in that abusive relationship. Do you think that feeling responsible for your parents splitting up made you stick around for this guy? Um. No, I don't think really it's got to do with my parents. I think it was more um, my insecurities that made me stick around with this guy and the impact that I had in high school. So if, you know, if by any chance any teenagers watch this video or um, anyone that is going into high school watch this video, you just got to be careful with what you say with your words because it can impact someone's life and do cause a lot of damage you know and that's one thing that I hope I can help in the future is you know the bullying and that yeah, kind of stuff but I think, yeah um, I'd say it was more my insecurities that got me there okay. and I think kids these days are throwing around kill yourself too freely yeah way too freely yeah yeah, definitely. Even my daughter's already asking about it already, and she's such a young age. Wow. So, yeah. Um, in saying that your dad was sick quite a lot of the time and you had to save him a few times because of his diabetes, did you have to take on a protector role or were you still able to be a kid? Uh, I felt like I more had to be the parent around him yeah. um, because, like, he couldn't – really there was a lot of times he couldn't really do stuff like my dad was still a great dad he still did fun things with me and he loved me to death and you know my dad is such a kind-hearted beautiful person and has always supported me and loved me but it was hard to always see him constantly get sick and also the fact that he drinks as well um was really hard because you just don't know you just get scared to see your parents sick and unwell, you know, and especially with diabetes, it's just, you know, I saw him putting needles in his stomach every day because that's what he needed to do to to stay alive and to survive. And it it still worries me till this day. Like I still have to try and remind him to, you know, to look (laughs) after himself, not smoke, not drink. And, you know, like I'm always on his back about the drinking, you know, but I've let go a little bit, but yeah, it was really hard just to be the parent at that young age, you know, and just being in between my mum and dad as well because they were always bad stuff about each other, you know. So it's like I didn't know which sides to take or, you know, who to love more or what. So <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Um, in, I think you said in high school, uh, when you got there, you were sort of like part of the popular girls group, but they were talking shit about you behind your back anyway. And I think you said yeah. like you just wanted to be beautiful. Did you have to change who you were to like bunny ears fit in in that popular girl group? Yeah, I felt like I did. Like I felt like I had to try and because I had boobs back then, well, I still do have boobs, but because I had really big boobs then, you know, like it was like to show a little bit of cleavage or 
you know, like wear the mini skirts or whatever to try and, you know, get looked at, you know, but it's getting looked at in the wrong way, um, you know, or trying to dye my hair blonde or, you know, trying to, you know, do all those little makeup things that girls do back then. And I don't even like makeup now. I don't even wear wear it at all now. So, but yeah, I tried to do everything I could to fit in, but nothing worked really. So no matter what I did, I just couldn't, couldn't get there. And I didn't agree with the way they were treating other people as well. So that's what made me left. I could see that they were bullying other girls and saying bad things about other people that I'm just like, I don't want to be a part of that. You know, I want to, so that's why I left as well. (laughs) So you didn't really change or alter your personality. You just tried to change your appearance. Yeah. I just wanted to change my appearance just so I thought it would make my life easier. Um, You know, and I'd be able to get the guy that I wanted to get. (laughs) Yeah. And I think you you spoke about self-harm and then eventually attempting your life. Were you... Were you ever able to open up about what you were doing, like thinking or feeling at all? Not really, no. It was very hard for me to talk to my family. Um, It was just very hard for them to understand who I was. Like my sister was always really beautiful and really popular at school and I always used to look up to her. You know, I still do. You know, she's a gorgeous, gorgeous lady, you know, and she was very attractive and I didn't think that if I spoke to her, she would understand me. Yeah. So, and same with my cousins as well. Like my cousins were athletes and, you know, really well liked at school and gorgeous. And, you know, so I didn't feel like I really had anyone in my family that understood me or, you know, they'll just be like, oh, you're being silly or, you know, you've got this, you got that and stuff. But I didn't really understand the core of my pain. So, but I felt terrible for putting my parents through that hell though and seeing them get upset over seeing me I just shut them out quite a bit so every time they did try and visit me in hospital and that's what I forgot to mention is I would refuse to see them as well Well. and I know that would have killed my mom and my dad that would have killed them um they was refusing to see them but I just did not want them to see all this pain that I was going through and you know I just couldn't bear to see them cry or anything so I just shut them out and I just stopped them from visiting me and the hospital you know I was number one priority well I can understand why you wouldn't want to tell them like considering that you and I guess opening up you caused a riff and then from there it's just become like um, mum on dad and then you being stuck in the middle so makes sense that you didn't want to create another scenario like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with, with self harm, do you remember what it was you were hoping to get out of that? Was that an escape of some sort for you? Um, I just, I had like one fight with all the girls at school and I just felt like there was no way of making it any better. So when I did it at that time, I just saw no hope, no way out, and I just wanted to to go, like, and leave this world. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so I just did it without thinking, and I was thinking about it for a while, but I just did not think there was any hope, and I just, yeah. I was, I've, I've been doing it for a while, though, but that night someone actually caught me, so... Okay. Yeah, I um, just was very in a very dark place. So, for you, was there any 
any hint of wanting to punish yourself? Yeah, I think that is as well. Like I just felt so much guilt for the eat, you know, the bulimia, um, the way that I look. I just felt like I just was nothing, you know, and just wanted to punish myself in some way or hurt myself. Maybe I didn't think I was deserving of good things back then and I don't know why. Like it's not like I did anything bad or did anything wrong, but I just – just felt really dark and twisted (laughs) yeah well I could understand going through your whole life especially through school and that social environment being picked on and made fun of being the butt of jokes it's hard to feel like you're enough or worthy when you're treated like shit yeah Yeah, definitely yep and then you just end up putting these thoughts in your head that you know you're just a piece of piece of crap so what's the point of living you just end up putting these thoughts in your head and you're just getting into such a dark place that eventually that's just it it just takes one moment but I was so lucky I guess that someone found me and that my family got that help for me that I needed to get straight away that's amazing uh with going into that hospital was that the first time you ever felt that you belonged Yep. Yeah. The first group uh, therapy session when I was hearing everyone's stories and they were all different ages. They weren't even all teenagers. I just felt like, yes, I found my group of people. They're weird like me. <laughs> you know, they're dark and twisted like me, you know, great, you know, but the hospital didn't encourage for you to socialize with these people okay. outside of the group. So even the boyfriend that I did make in there, even the friendships that I did make, I wasn't allowed to um, socialize with them outside of the hospital and they all just dropped off. So I kind of lost all that friendship that I had in there. And, you know, I really liked that guy too. Like, I mean, he was hot. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I tried to ring him a few times, but yeah, no, yeah, I just got refused to see him. So that was a bit disappointing, but I understand why they did that. They wanted you to heal on your own and, you know, if you were, it's easy to drag one down. You've got to surround yourself with positive people in that kind of sense. So I didn't see that at that time, but now I see it. Um, And I can understand why you felt like you finally fit. Like you said, you found your people, they're weird. Like you having like a a sister who's beautiful and then, cousins and stuff that are athletic and fit in and popular um, yeah must have been like a hard a hard life growing up being the odd one out in that sense yeah it is yeah I still feel do I still do feel like an outcast like I feel like no matter which group I am in I just don't belong but I embrace it now like I love the fact that I'm different and I love the fact that you know, I don't fit in. Like I've got a lot of different friends, but I've got surfy friends, I've got personal development friends, I've got single mum friends, but not big one massive group, you know. Yeah. Like I'm, yeah, I've got a bit of everywhere. <laughs> so I share the love everywhere. Uh, did you think less of yourself after coming out of hospital and like transitioning back into the real world? I felt better, but I did feel less of myself and I didn't know how I was going to go um, going back to school, but I seemed to get like a lot of people looking at me like feeling sorry for me. So it's like, oh, poor her. And I didn't want to admit that I was in hospital, but they would come up to me and, oh, where have you been for like so long? Like, what have you been doing? Like I knew they knew, but I wouldn't admit to them that 
that's where I was, you know, and they were like giving me love, um, trying to give me support, but in the most ridiculous way, like yeah. kind of like, oh, poor you, oh, you know, like patting your head, poor you kind of girl kind of thing. So, so still like condescending? And, yeah. yeah, still condescending and, yeah, so <laughs> so I didn't last very long when I went back to high school. Um. When you moved to Sydney, you said you got this uh, well-known boyfriend and like you're working, taking up jobs or roles as an extra. Did you have to change yourself to fit in in that setting? Not so much in in that setting, but um, when I started dating him, I felt like I did have to change myself because he – was always the type of girls that he was always looking and thought that was hot were blonde and blue eyed and, um, you know, were tall and skinnier. So I felt like I had to lose weight. I felt like I had to dye my hair and, you know, like make my skin whiter, try and change wow. myself. And I did. And then once I started, you know, started getting on the drugs, I started losing all that weight. And um, the more I start to, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm losing the weight. And the more it kind of driven me to take more drugs, as bad as that sounds. Yeah. But, yeah, I did try and and even not even just my looks wise, I even changed my personality. Like I started becoming like him, like angry and, you know, like, uh, yeah, just angry at the world and, you know, just very negative and, yeah, just tried to drink like him and, you know, just try to do, do everything to try and be the woman that he wanted me to be, you know, try and be the perfect housewife that cooked and cleaned and did everything. And once I had my daughter, I was, like, petrified of that he would come home and something would be wrong, you know, because I would just get abused. I used to get, like, massive anxiety attacks. But I made sure the house was spick and, spick and span, made sure his clothes was washed and made sure everything was perfect. So, yeah, but... Yeah, wow. now I look back, I'm like, I'll never change myself for a guy. I'll um, never. Looking back now, do you have an understanding of what made you go to that level of like pleasing someone else? Was it just because you felt like you couldn't get anyone else? I just did not have the tools or the research, or I just did not know any better. I just felt like this whole world just exists, you know, being beautiful is what was going to make my life happier, but it's not, you know, it's what's inside of your heart and you have to be happy within yourself. But I never, I was too busy of always trying to do the right thing by people, always trying to make people happy, always trying to get people's attention that, you know, I lost myself completely and yeah, you know, I just, Unfortunately, yeah, I just did not know who I was anymore because I was becoming what everyone else wanted me to be instead of just being me. Yeah, and I think if you're with someone who's like that, who's constantly degrading you, um, over time that story sinks in and you start telling yourself that story and that's where you, I, th I think, lose all your self-respect and then become this this pleaser who doesn't have any self-respect. Yeah. Yeah, I lost all respect for myself. I did not value myself. Um, I did not understand myself. It was just, yeah, constant disrespect to myself. And now I look back and I, I think to myself, I was so disgusting to myself. How could I let myself be treated that way? How could I put myself down so much? You know, if 
say if I was going to meet a guy like him tomorrow, you know, within two days he would be gone. No, thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. <Yeah. laughs> you know, like <laughs> I'm just so happy with being on my own and working on myself to be better that I'm not going to tolerate any crap. And, you know, people might say to me I'm too picky or whatever, but I should be picky. You know, why am I just going to settle? You know, I deserve to have the best. So Exactly. That's fucking amazing. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> um, knowing that knowing that people around you and the people that cared for you were questioning why you were with this guy, did you have to distance yourself from those people just because I have um, family who were in the same situation mm. and they sort of cut themselves off from the family because they knew the family were going to talk badly about them? Yeah, I did because I was just embarrassed as well. Like I didn't want to invite him anywhere. Yeah. Every time like I had work functions on or I had a wedding on or because the work colleagues that I had at the time were really amazing with me as well and really supportive of me um, because I would see how traumatized I'd walk into work. So I did get offered to um, stay at people's houses or whatever, but I just never took anyone up on that offer. I was too embarrassed. So... Yeah, any weddings or anything that I got invited to, I would say no to because I didn't want him to come along and cause the scene and embarrass me because normally that's what he would do. He would get drunk and he would either get really aggressive and it could be over something so little, but he'll just go crazy. And um, I remember the first time my mum flew me and him to Queensland because I was pregnant and my mum wanted to meet him. And he did embarrass me in front of the whole family. He got, like, aggressive and started to get getting really bad. Uh, I was staying in the hotel room across from my sister. My nieces were even crying to me the next day and saying, Auntie, what are you doing with this guy? Like, you know, I'm afraid for you. And they were only 10 or 11 at that time. Wow. You know, they're only 10 or 11 years old because there's only 10 years age gap between me and my nieces. And I remember that time that, you know, they're like, what are you doing with him, you know, and crying to me and even then I didn't wake up, you know, I was just so caught up in my own world and still believed in him and still believed in the good side of him, you know, so, yeah. And I think but. it's, you make it harder when you put yourself in that position too when, like, you are embarrassed to bring him out so you you don't, you isolate yourself from your colleagues and your family and then it's literally just you and him left so it does make it harder to leave because he's all you got. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And all his friends were about were the same like him. So well, I was hanging around a bunch of people that were the same like him, that were big drinkers, drug takers, you know, and they're not all bad people. They were just, you know, like party people back then. But I was just hanging around that, that type of crowd because the group of friends that I had were like me, but I was too embarrassed to bring him into that circle. So... <laughs> I missed out on a lot of social events because of it or I would try and do it on my own. But even if I went on my own, I'd get phone calls constantly. When are you going to come home? You know, like I'd get made to be feel guilty that I didn't bring him along. So yeah. it was just easier for me not to go sometimes. Uh, last question before we move on to how you sort of process to overcome all of this stuff. You said that mm -hmm. uh, your worst fear at the time was being a single mum. What did being a single mum mean to you? Um, being a single mom, it was just the fact that I would have no support 
of like coming home or any support to do with the kid financially and just I've never been a really big maternal person so it was for me to have a kid on my own was very challenging so I even with pregnancy and after pregnancy um, I didn't want to breastfeed or anything like that and people made me feel guilty for not wanting to breastfeed you know I did give it a go just to please people and just to make a point but I wasn't very maternal from the start and I had no idea what I was doing. So, yeah, it was my biggest fear because, you know, like I always had this Cinderella syndrome, you know, complex of wanting the big, you know, house, family, gorgeous husband and, you know, so I always had that, you know, that mentality in my head, you know, it's like I want to be Cinderella but (laughs) being a single mum will be far from that story but, you know, I'm my own Cinderella now. (laughs) It's... um. It's amazing that the thing you feared most at the time is the ultimately what helped you set yourself free. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I conquered my own fear and it saves my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably that should be the quote of this episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You spoke uh, a little bit beforehand about some of the stuff that you've used. You mentioned uh self-love, mirror work, and learning to be happy single. How have you learned to be happy single? Because I can assume that's a problem for a lot of people at the moment. Um, I'm just going to turn the light on because it's yep. getting a bit dark. Go for it. But <laughs> uh, how do I learn to be happy single? Um, it didn't happen overnight, let me be honest with you guys. Um, after I did get out of that relationship, because I was getting attention from men, I would tend to have a lot of casual flings. So not necessarily I wanted to commit to guys, but it would be like a monkey bar kind of relationship where I'd have a casual fling, have sex with the same guy for three months and then have the next and then the next and then the next. And I always constantly needed a guy in my life. So it doesn't just happen overnight, but I realized um, that enough was enough and I was – having sex for the wrong reasons to feel, um, you know, for value, to feel better about myself. And then once I realized that, I decided to just um, do a bit of self-love and I came came across personal development and I'm really glad that I did. And I learned about the laws of attraction and started doing a lot of research, reading books, watching YouTube videos, and I just started to really work on myself but I can say the main thing that really helped me was Happiness Co. was finding Happiness Co. Um, because ever since I did find Happiness Co., that's when I pretty much have stayed single. Because <laughs> <laughs> I guess I found true happiness. Um, yeah, but yeah, I just worked on myself and it doesn't happen overnight. It's something that you've got to do every day. And I did that every day. I made sure that I ate right, I found good people. You, that's the one thing that you really got to do is make sure that you find really good people to hang around and really good people that will lift you up. You got to have a good social life as well. So if you are afraid of being single or feel lonely, it's get out there and be more social. There's so many activities that you can do in Perth. So I found surfing through being single and I joined a surfing group and that's how I fell in love with the ocean and fell in love with the activity. And, you know, I've got such a good group of surfer friends and and then yeah, I just I've got so many friends and such a good social life now just from doing that that 
I don't need to to have a man in my life. I don't even know how I would fit him in, to be honest. But <laughs> how do you? Um, how did you come to that realization in the first place that you were having sex for the wrong reason, or had a guy in your life for the wrong reason? I think it's and yeah, even us. It's it's a long process for me to realize it, but I was just wanting sex for that validation of your body is good, you you are attractive, you know, um, the flirting, you know, all that kind of stuff that I kind of missed when I was a teenager, you yeah. know. So um, that's why I was doing it. But every time that I did do it, I wouldn't feel good about myself the next day. And it's like I wanted the next hit and the next hit and something just made me realize one day like, why am I having sex when there's no feelings? Like, why am I doing this to myself? You know, like, and then I'm feeling like shit, like this is not healthy. So once I realized that, I decided to look into it and I realized why I was doing it. And then once I realized why I was doing it, that's how I joined programs and went through self-development to try and fix those issues. But like I said, it doesn't, change just overnight it's something you got to constantly work out and by all means I'm not perfect now but you know I have found happiness with in my own company that's amazing so. um in saying that you you found happiness being single now like you you said you probably wouldn't be able to fit a man into your life it takes a lot of work to get to that point and you really have to uh, learn to accept yourself for all that you are one of the things that you mentioned beforehand as well was mirror work. How do you use that and how has it changed uh, how you feel about yourself? Well, like with self-love and with anyone that has body issues or insecurity issues, you've got to change the story on it. And this is something that Tony Robbins has taught me reading his books and Happiness Co. is change that story. So whether you think you're fat or you think that you're ugly, you should like look in the mirror and be like, I've got the most beautiful face. And you might not believe it at first, but the more you do it every day and the more that you're looking in the mirror and staring at those insecurities and saying the positive side of it, saying, I love my face, I love my eyes or I love my body, eventually your mind is going to react to that and start believing in that. And it's something that you've got to be consistent with and, you know, but eventually you will believe it, but you've got to keep saying it to yourself every day, looking at yourself naked in the mirror and pointing out those insecurities and changing it into a positive because once you do that, then the more you do attract better people into your life and the more people are going to see that um, you are beautiful and that you do have a great body because it all comes down to you. If you're feeling ugly, if you're feeling fat, then you're going to send those vibrations out to the world and that's something that I realised. Once I started working on myself and started feeling beautiful, and started looking after my body and self-loving, whether it be just getting up and um, doing meditation or affirmations or whatever, I realized I was attracting more people into my life and better friends into my life, and I was starting to feel more beautiful. So something that you got to do every day. Also journaling as well before you go to bed is writing those affirmations, I am beautiful. Um, I don't know what men get insecure about their penis if it's too small or whatever. I can write, I got a big penis <laughs> yeah, on yeah, your You got diary. it. You got it. <laughs> Just if you write that all, you know, every night, I'm sure you'll feel that it is bigger, guys. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm snipping that for Instagram. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to touch on from this recovery period is Happiness Co. What what have you taken away from your time 
within that? Oh, the biggest thing I've learned about that is being vulnerable, speaking your truth and telling people all your secrets. It brings you together with more amazing people. And when you meet more amazing people, more amazing things happen in the world. And that's what I think of Happiness Co. We are all outcasts. We are all weird in our weird ways. You know, we all got different personalities but we all fit together because we are all vulnerable and we all have the same thing of wanting to help and change people's lives. And, you know, I have can't feel more blessed that I found Happiness Co. and that I met Julian about four years ago. And once I met this guy, I just knew that I had to be a part of his life and I knew that, you know, it was just my instinct. I just trusted that and I'm here now and I'm living my purpose helping people and doing something that I love every day, just like, you know, what it was like. It feels like a big family. Yep, and 100%. Yeah, and, and that's, look at the thing that you're doing. Yeah, that's. I think you touched on saying that you have the people around you that make you feel whole and so you don't feel like you need to have a partner for validation. And I felt that yep. at that breakthrough to happiness in Perth, that live event, the two-day one, was that there was so much love there that I was just overwhelmed. Like I'd never felt that in my life. And I just felt yeah. so content and so free in that environment. So when you're consistently yeah. surrounded by people like that, even if it is um, mostly over social media, man, your life's going to change. Yeah. It's just a beauty because everyone just wants to make themselves better, to be a better person and to help everybody else. And that's just the beauty about Happiness Co. And – I am so excited about the future with it and I'm so blessed to be a part of it, especially from the beginning. And I got to meet amazing people like yourself that are doing amazing things in the world. So You're so cute. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. <laughs> <laughs> no, all right. No, uh, couple... Yeah, it's all about being vulnerable. So like vulnerable people do amazing things together. Sorry. That's it. And when you're vulnerable in that sort of setting, you've got a community that is all about vulnerability, you can be 100% you and you don't have to wear no masks. Yep. Just, yeah, just like on Saturday when I tripped over the stage and spilt the whole ticket bu uh, bucket in front of um, Lorna Jane Clark. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, but that's just me, hey. Yeah. <laughs> and Julian's like, just wait till I tell everyone about this. I'm like, oh, great. I hope you didn't you drop know, some F-bombs on stage. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I only bought one raffle ticket and I happened to win and then get on stage, bang, everything <laughs> falls over. A uh, couple questions and we'll wrap up. Knowing, yep. knowing everything that you've been through, what would you say the quality of your life is like now? I think the quality of my life, it's not perfect, but I love my life. Like yeah. I'm very blessed to be where I am now. I never thought that I'd be able to live on my own and support myself financially. Uh, I don't get any child support. I forgot to mention that I was living with my mum for about four years in a one-bedroom unit, the three wow. of us. So I struggled for about three or four years trying to save money, as much money as I can, but helping mum with rent and paying bills and stuff like that. But I finally moved out this year and I've got my own place. So I'm doing everything on my own and my biggest fear has turned into my biggest reward, like living on my own, being a single mum. I feel very free and I feel like I've got no one holding me back. So 
that's how my life has turned around is I feel freedom and free to be me and that's the most beautiful thing I could ever want. That's amazing. I feel like this needs to be a Disney movie. (laughs) (laughs) Let me get creative on that. (laughs) Um, What have you added to your life or removed from it to improve the quality of it? I have moved just bad people from my life. So I'm not saying bad people, like as in mean as they're a bad person or, you know, a nasty person, just people that don't align with me. I don't hold on to relationships. I used to be onto a relationship holder. So if friends or whatever started like drifting away from me, I would like grab on and hold and hold and hold and never let go because I was so scared of losing that relationship. But I am happy and know when to let go of a relationship now, even with friends, even with family, and even with family, I've had to let go of some relationships. But I just know that it was the course was done for it and it was time to let go. And that's how I've really changed my life is letting go when I know I need to let go. And it's not that the other person is bad, it's just sometimes people grow apart and you can't keep holding on. So and that's one thing that a lot of people need to learn is when to let go of someone. So that, I never like to be a chaser. Yeah, and that's having self-respect for you, uh, having respect for yourself as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when something's gone, it's gone. Don't keep chasing it. You know, if it's meant to be, it'll come back. And that's for friendship, family, and ex-partners or whatever. And that's what I live by now. Uh, what are you most grateful for right now? Grateful for definitely happiness co. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, all the people that I meet, all my clients that I've mentored and coached over the years, um, seeing people's growth and changes, meeting, meeting people like yourself that want to change the world. Um, I just every day is like a new adventure for me. So I'm so grateful just to have a fresh day every day, and I'm excited where my art's going at the moment. So my art skills are getting better and better and the more and more interest I'm getting people ask me to design do books for them and stuff like that so that's cool I'm really grateful for that so finding my purpose is probably definitely my number one gratitude because I was very lost for years of not knowing what I want to do so that's amazing that's huge yeah Uh, last question if you had the chance to put a message on a billboard where you know thousands of people would see it every day what would that message be This is my favorite quote. (laughs) It's a surfer quote, but when in doubt, just keep paddling out because you never know what's over the next wave. That's amazing. Yeah, that's my favorite quote and my motto in life. And probably the other one is treat people the way you'd like to be treated as well. Yeah, that's beautiful. I thought you were going to say shaka, bra. (laughs) (laughs) I should have, hey. Um, (laughs) That would have been cool. To wrap up, buddy, I just want to acknowledge you, first of all, for making time to do this, second, for the person that you are, because I was lucky enough to meet you at that Perth event. You are just a beautiful, beautiful mermaid of a soul. Um, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But most of all, for knowing what you've been through and taking all those lessons and using it as fuel for the fire, turning that pain to purpose and doing what you're doing now, mentoring people through Happiness Co., that's just fucking amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like I'm really blessed and really lucky. And I think the best thing that I can leave you guys with today is whatever you've been through in the past with whoever's hurt you or done you wrong, 
you got to forgive that person and make peace with yourself, forgive yourself and make peace with your past to move on. And that's one thing that helped me get through all that trauma and um, just stuff in life is forgive yourself, forgive your past mistakes and the people and, yeah. And you've always got tomorrow. Tomorrow's always a new day. <laughs> you too. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Yeah, you too. Bye. Now, before I let you go, you beautiful, beautiful human, I just want to say I hope that you liked that episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, please make sure that you share it with your friends, your family, anyone that you think or feel will benefit from listening to the story of vulnerability, the story of courage, the story of overcoming struggle. Now, if you haven't already, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're on Instagram, you already know that you sleep in my fridge, inside joke. And please, if you can, subscribe to us on YouTube or give us that five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever podcast, platform, or app that you use. It'll go a long, long way to helping us make mental health mainstream and getting these stories, these stories of courage, into the mainstream. Thank you all guys. Ciao.